the teams you care about. Mac Jones is good. That's not the question. The question is, is he good enough to win repeatedly in this loaded AFC? The stories that matter to you. If I'm Xander Bogarts, I need three things in order to get over that insulting contract offer. This is your home for New England sports. Jason Tatum, superstar. Book it. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show on a Wednesday, an NBA Finals Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Another full show today, all 90 minutes, right up until 7 o'clock. Red Sox out west looking to take game three from the reeling halos. Our coverage begins at 8.38, first pitch 9.38. Phil on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line says, best part of the Red Sox being out west as we get the full Brady Farka show. I agree, Phil. I wish the Red Sox would play all their games out west because we could get a full show. I love when the Red Sox go out west. I love when the Red Sox are out west, when they're in Chicago, when they're in Texas, when they're in Kansas City. I love all of it because I get a full 90 minutes with you. We're going to talk with Red Sox and Bruins insider Tom Karen. He's going to be with us in about 15 minutes. You'll hear a bit from my earlier conversation with Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio today as well. Much like Phil, you can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026 at your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account as well. We're available anywhere for your feedback. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Six and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most completely locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sixandstuff.com. Game three of the NBA Finals is tonight. Tip-off is just after 9 o'clock. The series is tied at 1-1. We know this. Make no mistake about it that tonight's game means more to the Boston Celtics than it does the Warriors. The Celtics absolutely have to have this game tonight. We have made a big deal about how the Celtics stole back home court advantage. We've made a big deal about how it's now a best of five and three of the five games are at home for the Celtics. We've made a big deal out of that storyline. It is now time for the Celtics to go and prove that that is actually a big deal. The Celtics should have every advantage tonight. They have the home crowd bump. They'll have Draymond Green, who I think will have to be on, on better behavior today. I think he'll be on more, under more of a microscope, so I think he'll be watched more closely. So home crowd bump. Draymond's not going to be able to act like he did in game two, I think. Home cooking with the officiating, not as big a deal as it was back in the day, but it still could be present. You've got that. This is a game where the Celtics should have major advantages. They need to go out and take it. The Celtics have to win this game. You cannot get behind two games to one against this team. I do not want to be chasing the Warriors. Play from a position of strength 
play from a position of power and play from ahead in this series in every turn you can. The Celtics should have the advantage today. Go out and prove that you do. Go out and prove that getting home court advantage was a big deal. I actually really like what Chris Broussard of Fox Sports Radio, I really like what he had to say this morning. Boston is not is not great at home. Okay, they they're five and four at home, eight and three on the road in the playoffs, three and four at home in the last two series. So if they come home with home court advantage, which is supposed to be good, and lose right away, now again, I think it's another mental hurdle that they have to climb. Chris Broussard is right. He's right. We've made that big deal about the Celtics having home court. Like he says, it's supposed to be good. But the Celtics haven't been that great at home. They lost to Milwaukee at home in game one and game five, I believe. They lost at home to Miami in game three and game six. If they cannot win this game with all these advantages, then it would be time to worry. If you can't win this game with the first NBA Finals home game in 12 years on your court, where the fans are going to be wild, where Draymond's got to be on better behavior. If you can't win today, then you likely cannot win this series. If you can't win under the advantageous circumstances, then you likely cannot win this series. I want to see the Boston Celtics tonight come out flying around. I want to see them play fast. I want them to play aggressive. I said the same thing before game six against Miami. This is not rocket science. I want to see the Celtics come out and shock the Warriors. Shock and awe. Fast, physical, fly around, hit shots early, take your early momentum that the crowd gives you and create more of it. Get up 15 to 5. Get up 21 to 9. End the first quarter up 32 to 17. Get up early and then roll from there. I do not want this to be a team, or I do not want this to be a game, rather, where these where these two teams just jab, 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 and then see who can land a haymaker late. I want to see the Celtics land a haymaker early. I want them to come out and overwhelm Golden State. Use your athleticism. Use the crowd. Use it all to your advantage because it should be an advantage. I do not want this to be a situation where we go back and forth and Steph Curry, you know, if the Warriors absorb the first quarter and it's a four-point game, I'd be worried. I want the Celtics up eight. 12, 14 at the end of the first. And you can do it. We've seen it before. They've done it to Miami where they ran them out of the gym, I think, in game four. They did it to Milwaukee where they ran them out of the gym in, in, in game seven. We've seen them you know, take it to Brooklyn early. I want to see you, if you are the Celtics, I want to see you come out in attack mode. Come out in attack mode. And if you do that, then you have a good chance to win this game and get up two games to one. And I mean what I said. I mean what I said. I think that Draymond Green is going to be officiated differently tonight.
he has now put the target on his back. He came out on his podcast and basically said he's untouchable. Basically said the NBA won't eject him for stuff. So I think the the league and the officials are going to be like, oh, you think you've got us figured out? Well, let's see about that, big boy. I think the officials will be tougher on Draymond Green tonight than they have been thus far in this series. He's going to have to be on his best behavior. I think it's going to be officiated more closely tonight, and I don't think Draymond's going to get away with as much. Draymond was a huge catalyst for what the Warriors did in Game 2. I don't think he's going to be able to do all that tonight. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Virginia in Starksboro. Brady, you need a tall glass of calm the hell down. We need to win one of the next two games at home. We are fine. Do I believe that? Hmm. If you if you split at home, it then becomes a best of three with the Warriors having home court advantage. I think that would be a tough situation to overcome. Not impossible, but tough. If the Celtics sweep, obviously they'd be in firm control, and that would be great. I think the Celtics can split these two games at home, but they need to win tonight. They need to win tonight. I do not think you can beat the Warriors chasing them in this series. I'd rather be playing from ahead. I'd rather be playing from ahead. It's going to be tough to beat the Warriors two or three times in a row, especially if you are down and trailing. I I think this is a, well, it's not a must win in terms of the series being over. I think Chris Broussard's right. You are, what, five and four in the playoffs at home? I mean, the Celtics went what? They went 2-0 and against Brooklyn. They went 2 and they won two against Milwaukee, and they only won one against Miami. So they, they need to come out mentally and prove they can win at home, too. I, I agree with Chris Broussard. Yes, they could theoretically win one of two at home here, but I think that one would have to be tonight. I'd like them to just win both and be one win away from the uh, banner number 18 when we go back to Golden State. All right, it is the Brady Farkas Show in WDEV, AM and FM. Tom Karen, our Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, he's going to join us on the other side of the break. What does he make of the Bruins firing Bruce Cassidy? How does he think the veterans feel about, this, about, about that decision? And the Sox, they've gotten hot. TC, he's next on DEV. Looking for the latest information on the Red Sox? Not only is David Ortiz a Hall of Famer, but he is one of the best of the best. How about the Bruins? Are they a Stanley Cup champion? Probably not as presently constructed, but they're a playoff team. And you've come to the right place. We talk now with Nesson Insider Tom Karen. Baseball isn't boring because there's still nothing like the communal gathering of fans at a baseball game. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Wednesday on WDEVAM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes. We go right up until 7 o'clock. Red Sox baseball begins at 838 the first pitch is 938. Nathan Valdi on the mound. Sox go for three straight against the reeling Angels. And joining us now is our Red Sox and Bruins insider over at Ness and Tom Karen. TC, how are you? Did you get enough sleep this morning after another late night out of the, with the uh, West Coast? 
Yeah, we're getting there. It's been a uh, it's been a long week, no doubt about that. Between being out in Oakland in the red eye and doing these games late at night, uh, been a, been a week. Yeah. Now, how do they decide the travel schedule? Because I was surprised to see you in Oakland, but not in Anaheim. So, what goes into making those decisions? Uh, Jemai was at a wedding, uh, and so it was either the choice of not having a sideline reporter, which they offered. They said, if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. But I thought we were better served having somebody there, so I went out. Did you take it in a, in a uh, NBA Finals game out there? I did not. Like, uh, I mean, if you heard the whole uh, ongoing story we talked about out there, the, the Major League Baseball players thought it was too expensive to go. So certainly the uh, reporters who cover the team thought it was too expensive to go. Well, look, we always start with the Red Sox. I actually want to start with the Bruins today. If you are a veteran player trying to figure out your future, like David Posternock, like Patrice Bergeron, how do you feel today about the state of the organization? Well, again, and I have no insight whatsoever, so let's preface it there. This is not something I've been talking to anybody about knee uh, deep in late-night baseball. So <clears throat> I've been watching from afar like everybody else. But it seems to me that the, the, the Bruins did not do this without consulting their players. And if you listen to what Don Sweeney said yesterday at the press conference, it seems pretty clear to me that and I I am a big Bruce Cassidy fan. Uh, I think he got the raw end of this stick and uh, is in many ways, as so often happens in these things, the scapegoat for an underachieving team. But something's got to change, and and the Bruins decided it was him. But back to my original thought, I, I just it sounds like this decision came after a lot of discussion with a lot of players. Uh, and and listen, so often a really good coach, Joe Madden might be one of the great best managers in baseball right now. They thought they needed a new voice. Uh, clearly the decision here from the Bruins is that this team needed a new voice. And it sounded to me yesterday that that uh, Sweeney was uh, intimating that uh, that came from the players, which means they had to talk to Bergeron. Uh, you know, maybe DeBrusque doesn't want to go now, whatever was behind that. Uh, you heard Krejci's discussion come back up yesterday. Uh, was there something there? Krejci was pretty straightforward last year, middle of the year, saying, well, he never let me play with Pasternak yeah. when they moved Pasternak to the second line. So, uh, again, Bruce Cassidy, really good coach, tremendous person. I, I mean, one of the best people I've, I've gotten to know here uh, on the Boston sports scene. Uh, but there are times where even even a great coach and a great voice uh, is not the right one for this team. So I think to answer your question, uh, reading between the lines of what I heard from Don Sweeney yesterday, I think the veterans, youngers, the players here uh, are actually going to be a little motivated by a change. Now, who do they bring in? That'll be the interesting part. So do you think the Bruins then are a team on the same trajectory that they've been on? They're trying to win, and this is not going to be a step back because we've certainly seen, hey, Pasternak is a free agent after next year. They could move on from him. They could not bring Bergeron back, and they could go into full rebuild mode. You don't. It doesn't sound like you think that that's a possibility, though. Well, I, I think it's a possibility if Bergeron does come back. I think it begins with Bergeron. If Bergeron is back, then they're, they're clearly trying to extend the window uh, at least another year. Uh, do they actually bring Krejci back? That would certainly indicate that they believe they can contend. Uh, listen, I mean, look at the Rangers. I mean, we've seen teams that uh, that you think are, are, are in disarray or nearing the end of a run here, right? They move on from David Quinn and, and look where they are now. So 
I, I, I do think that, uh, that, that they could go either way, but they could have gone either way last year, right? And they added Olmark and they made trades at the deadline that, that clearly indicate, you don't even bring Lindholm in with that contract thinking you're going to start a rebuilding pro- uh, process. So uh, I don't think it'll be a rebuild. Uh, will they contend? I mean, you got a lot of injuries and some of these are going to be a while, right? Uh, we keep hearing uh, November, December on all these guys now and, and impact guys, important guys who are uh, going to recover from surgery. But I do think they believe that they are a playoff contender in the coming year. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com. Let's move over to the Red wait, Sox. Wait, wait, wait. Let's not move yet. Who's going to get the job? I thought that's why. How do you how do you go there without you, without telling me who's who do you think is going to get the job? Who do I think is going to get the job? That's yeah. why I'm asking you. Barry Trotz is out there. Uh, okay, so Paul Maurice is out Trotz. there. Barry Trotz is actually a very good friend of mine, and and I I don't think there's any guy who probably the best coach in the National Hockey League who's unemployed, which again tells you everything about the voice not fitting a team, right? There'd, there'd be no one better for any franchise, and that's the problem, right? There's probably eight franchises that want Barry Trotz to be their next head coach. But the question is, if, if you thought, and, and there's no doubt, they didn't say this yesterday, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of doubt that the Bruins feel that Bruce Cassidy was probably a little too candid at times, a little too tough, right? I, I always go back to the Charlie Coyle refused to shoot the puck on net, right? When, when he said that after a game, when he called out Grizzly, uh, he, when he calls out DeBrusque, uh, I, I, I just think, and, and I loved it because I think it was honest and transparent and, and the fans and media ate it up. Barry Trotz is one of the toughest coaches in the NHL. Yeah, I think they need, uh, I think they're looking for a veteran coach with a softer disposition. And now right? to you, I ask you who that guy is. Well, is it a veteran coach though? Is it Nate Lehman? Is it, you know, Nate Lehman, uh, the coach of Providence College uh, to a national championship and is certainly a uh, one of the bright young hockey minds in the game. Um, you know, you mentioned there are there are multiple big names out there who could swoop in. Uh, so it's really I think I think, you know, to finalize your or my opinion on why they made this move away from Cassidy. I need to know who they're bringing in. Yes. Yeah. They bring in a, a nice coach. They bring in a young coach. They bring in a player's coach. Well, then you know it's because they thought they needed to go a little more on the softer side, as you said. If it's Barry Trotz, and I love Barry Trotz, but he, you know, he he's tougher than Cassidy, uh, and and maybe that. So so maybe the Bruins thought he wasn't tough enough. Uh, so I think this is going to be really interesting. It's it's pretty rare to you know, in my opinion, when it, when a team moves on from a coach or a manager, that. Part of that equation is always who the new guy is going to be. But in this case, I really don't fully understand the move away from Cassidy until I know where they're going with their next coach. Here's what's crazy for me, since we're going to extend the Bruins talk, is that, you know, the thing I've heard a lot about in the last 24 hours is he wasn't great with young players, wasn't great with young players, but also could grade on veterans and what wasn't great at delivering the message. Bruce Cassidy was in minor league and developmental hockey for a decade before he got the Bruins job. The whole system of minor league hockey and developmental hockey is built on kind of fostering culture and understanding that winning isn't the most important thing. It's about developing players. So he either never had it and did this job for a decade or lost it somewhere in the last six years. I don't know which one it is, but like if you were doing that for a decade, I would think you would have that softer developmental side to you. Yeah. And it, it, that was the uh, complaint about Julian as well before him, you know, so, so maybe nobody's good with kids. Anymore. I mean, maybe, <laughs> 
<laughs> so, and, and that's my point about innate remit. You know what I mean? If, if you're going to go, if that's what you think you need, why not go like the David Quinn route? Now, it didn't work for the Rangers. David Quinn would certainly be a guy uh, who spent time at BU. Yeah, uh, who could come in, you know, so so but maybe that's maybe you need someone who's dealt with college kids to come in and sort of be a guy who can deal with your younger players. I don't know. TC, let's move over to the Red Sox. Um, how concerned are you about this kind of lingering Xander Bogart shoulder issue? I'm a little concerned. Uh, Will Middlebrooks uh, told me that he connected with him real quickly on text and that uh, he said he's OK. Uh, and, then, you know, Alex Gore said last night that he's already begging to be in the lineup tonight. I would assume they'll give him tonight off. Uh, they've been doing that. They, they told uh, me in Oakland that they were going to rotate guys off through this road trip because it's been a lot of baseball. It was 10 games in nine days before the road trip. They had a day off, which was basically a travel day. We got it at 6 a.m. in Oakland. So that's not uh, exactly a refreshing day off. Uh, and, and so I, I think everyone's going to get a day off. So many Bogart's turn. Maybe he had to adjust that schedule to give him this game off, but I, I think that'll be the case. Uh, I, I think he'll be okay, but it's concerning because that was a while ago if it happened at Fenway Park, the initial collision, uh, and it's been bothering him ever since. So we're going to have to keep a close eye on it. Yeah, that May 20th game against Seattle, I think, where he and Verdugo ran into each other there. Um, interesting comments from Mookie Betts to WEI's Rob Bradford about how things went down for him in Boston. He basically said he never wanted to leave, but he also never got a good offer from them. They were interesting comments, but I don't know that there was anything revolutionary in there. Did did you think there was anything revolutionary that I'm missing? No, no. I, I you know, and I think the further away you go from it, uh, you know, the 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 more he's going to say that. I I still believe from and not Mookie never said this, uh, but I have said this really throughout the entire process. I don't think Mookie bets necessarily ever wanted to leave Boston, but I'm not sure he had a burning desire to stay. And, and that's an important distinction. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, some guys love Boston. Some guys love the pressure, love the old school Fenway park, love the fan base, all of that. It, it brings, you know, Fred Lynn to go way old school, but there's been a lot of guys since then who think Fenway brings out the best in them. I don't think that was Mookie Betts. I don't think Fenway, meant any more or less or playing in Boston meant any more or less than playing anywhere else. Doesn't mean he wanted to leave. I think people who say, well, Mookie wasn't going to stay. He didn't want to stay. I don't think that's true. Uh, but I don't think there was, again, any burning desire to get the deal done and stay in Boston. I think he was going to hit free agency. I think they were going to be one of 30 teams to try to keep him. Uh, and, and they had whatever percent chance that is to keep him. Uh, should they, could they have outbid anybody else and everybody else and extremely overpaid even more than the deal he got? Sure. And then he might have stayed, but he might not have. And at the end of the day, Bloom was coming into this and, and decided that after 2019, not making the playoffs, and they couldn't afford to lose him without getting something in return. Now, I'm not saying that's the right philosophy, and, and most fans will be up in arms. But running a team, he said, I need to get something in return because I'm afraid we're going to lose him. And I don't think with him we're going to win a World Series. So, again, I, I mean, I know fans go nuts when you bring this up, and that's smart of Rob Bradford to bring it up whenever he can because you're going to get a bazillion clicks. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, he made the moves, and in 2021 they came two uh, wins away from uh, winning the pennant. Uh, would they have done that with Mookie Betts? Maybe. Uh, would they have done it if they lost Mookie Betts and didn't get Verdugo or anybody in return? Maybe not. So I, I understand both sides. 
But I think at the end of the day, did he want to leave? No. Did he have a burning desire to stay? I don't think so. TC, our most hockey-involved conversation ever, I think, today. So a new a new high for us here. Red Sox baseball tonight, 838 pregame show for us. Another late night for you as the Sox are out on the West Coast on the TV side. So uh, get some more sleep here a little bit before the pregame show. Know, I mean, listen, just because I'm, I'm, I'm you know, completely gassed and, uh, but, you know, we don't have to hit the short. I mean, I'll say this. I think if you didn't stay up for the game Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, whatever this is, uh, it might have been the most important win of the year. I, re- I will I will say that at this point. We're 57 games in, something like that. I don't even know. The but, most uh, important win of the year, beating yeah. a team that's lost 12 games in a row and just yeah. had Mike Trout leave the game with injury. Sure. Look what Philadelphia did Friday after they fired Joe Girardi. I mean, teams generally get a bump. You know, yeah, and so you fire the manager, and they come out. Trout hits a home run. Trout hits a double. Now, Trout left the game, okay? But you are down in the seventh inning, going into the seventh inning. They had not won a single game yet this year when trailing going into the seventh inning. 0-16 on the season when they were losing after six. They tie the game. They hadn't won an extra innings game on the road yet this season. They win an extra innings game on the road. But more important than any of that, and, and Alex Gore finally said it after the game, Tanner Houck, Pitched the eighth and the ninth, and Alex Gore said, we're going to use him in the highest leverage situations up to two innings. Is that a closer? Maybe not yet, but it's a big step towards being a closer. And this team has been rudderless at the back end of the bullpen. As you know, that was Strom who came out and got the save in the 10th. Okay? But what do you do with a closer? You usually use him in the ninth, 10th, try to get that extra innings going. Red Sox last night had a bullpen that came in the fifth inning, stabilized everything. Red Sox win the game. They haven't had many games, as you know. The reason they were 0-16 is because the bullpen wouldn't keep them close enough to win those games. Last night it did, and I think that's an important step forward for this game. I seem to recall four gut-wrenching losses uh, by my Mariners to the Red Sox that I would put above yesterday's win, but maybe that's just me. So, DC, the Mariners. I mean, they could do that again this weekend. That's not important. Let's let's, let's hope not. But let's let the Mariners get at least at least one this weekend. We'll see what happens. So we'll see. Sox are rolling. Sox are rolling. They've won six straight. They'll go for seven straight tonight. TC, appreciate you. Appreciate it, Brad. Absolutely. Tom, Karen, our uh, – I, I can't even – if the Mariners get swept by the Red Sox this weekend, I don't know what I will be like when we come in on Monday. We'll get the national news update. I want to react to some of the things that TC said. We'll do that next right here on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I, I can't get over Tom Karen telling me that yesterday's Red Sox win was the most important Red Sox win of the season. I, I, I'm sorry, TC. I cannot agree with that. The Hauk stuff is great. Staying above 500 is important. Kicking a bad team when they're down is important. That's all true. But the most important win of the year was not last night. It just couldn't be. The four wins against Seattle were huge. Any of the games that got Trevor Story his welcome to Boston moment, I think those 
were more meaningful than last night. I think getting Trevor Story going was more important than getting Tanner Houck going. I think beating a Mariners team that you might, might be battling with for the playoffs at the time was more important than beating an Angels team that just fired their manager, lost 12 in a row, and has three of their four best players probably on the injured list if Trout goes there. I, I just, I can't buy it. I did think the Bruce Cassidy stuff, though, with TC was fascinating. And based on what TC says and based on what Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, who was with us yesterday, says, it seems like the Bruins veterans were tired of Cassidy. So, yeah, a new voice could be good. I had wondered how veterans would feel about kind of introducing more chaos into their career. TC, Wyshynski, they seem to think that that these guys are going to be good with it. So a new voice can be good. You just have to then hire the right voice. Okay, get a new voice all you want, but like the Celtics did, hire the right one. What TC says about Barry Trotz is true. Like you can't fire Cassidy and then go hire someone meaner and tougher than him. You have to find someone with a softer delivery. I don't think that a college coach is the right answer. I'll say that flatly right now. I do not believe a college coach is the right answer for the Boston Bruins. Not if your goals maintain winning the Stanley Cup finals. If your goal is to win a Stanley Cup and you have this veteran core and you've got Pasternak and you've got Marchand and you've got McAvoy, who's, well, young, a veteran, and maybe you bring back Krejci, and maybe you bring back Bergeron. If you've got it in Lindholm, if you've got an older team and your goal is to win the Cup, I do not believe that a college coach is the answer. If you're going to sell off parts and get real young and let everybody grow together, that's when a college coach becomes the answer. Until then, you need a guy with experience, a guy who's handled the locker room, a guy who's handled NHL contracts and NHL egos and NHL experiences. If you want to win the if you want to win the Stanley Cup, you need a guy who has been at the pro level before. I'd be okay hiring a first-time head coach if it's a long-time NHL assistant, but I do not believe that a college coach or junior coach is the right answer for the bees. We will talk more about that as we move through the Bruins portion of the NHL offseason. But I but I want to get to this. And by the way, I remind you that you can subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. It's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can check out all of our exclusive interviews there. And sometimes we do extra interviews that don't even get on the show. I have some quick thoughts on the Live Golf Tour. The Live Golf Tour, the LIV Tour. I have some some quick thoughts on this. And I just kind of want to get out there. And we haven't talked about this yet. You likely have heard of this new golf tour. If you haven't, I will give you a very brief synopsis. The LIV tour, the live tour is this new tour that now rivals the PGA tour and several prominent golfers have joined it. They've actually, some of them have actually left the PGA tour in order to join it. Sergio Garcia is in. Uh, Louis Oosthuizen is in. Dustin Johnson is in. It looks like Ricky Fowler, Patrick Reed, and Bryson DeChambeau, they're going to be in too. Phil Mickelson hasn't hasn't resigned from the PGA Tour, but he's playing in the LIV, the Live Tour also. And the, and the tour, the new tour, is going to offer a different brand of golf, right? There's going to be shotgun starts, 54 whole golf, team golf, there's a lot more money. That's really what this is all about, right? This is all about money. 
there are huge purses on this tour. Kevin Na is in the uh, in the LIV tour as well. The problem for people is where the money comes from, right? This money is insane. I think for this opening event outside London this weekend, the last place finisher, it's a 48-person 48 48 field, last place is going to get $120,000. So if you are a player that has a hard time winning or finishing top 10, 20 on the PGA Tour, finishing last here gets you 120000 I mean, that is insane. So players are doing this for money. The problem for everybody is where this money comes from. It's huge dollars. Where the dollars come from, that's everyone's problem. This money comes from the Saudi government, basically. They're allegedly using this league to what we're calling sports wash away their crimes against humanity, right? Killing journalists, allegedly. Being anti-gay repressing members of their society. So this is a new league where bad guys are in charge and now prominent players are jumping in bed with these bad guys. That is the story at hand. Let me get a few thoughts out of the way. And I'd love your thoughts here. 802-585-3026. Number one, from a pure golf standpoint, I do not believe that the very casual golf fan cares one bit about the PGA defections. I am a very casual golf watcher. Okay, I like to play it. I do not watch it unless it's the majors. From a fan standpoint, the defections do not matter to me. As long as these guys can all play in the majors, I'm good. I only watch major golf. I don't watch events at any other time of the golf season. So not having Dustin Johnson at some tournament in San Francisco on any random weekend doesn't mean anything to me. As long as Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson show up at the Masters, the U.S. Open, the PGA, and the Open Championship across the pond, that's all I really care about because I am only going to watch at the majors. If Sergio plays at the U.S. Open, I'm good. Phil's at the Masters, I'm good. I don't care as a casual fan where these guys play their weekends because I'm not watching on the weekends. All I care about is the majors. I think a lot of people who are like me are going to feel like me. As long as they're at the majors, I'm not going to care one, one way or the other where these guys play any of their other tournaments. So the casual fan from a golf perspective I don't think this even really does anything to change how you feel. I'm only watching four tournaments a year. The PGA Tour, which these guys are defecting from, does not run those four tournaments. So while maybe they can't play, maybe they'll resign the PGA Tour and can't play in some recycling open in San Antonio, I, I don't care like that they're not going to be there. I care if they're at the majors. Phil in Berlin, Brady, check your values. Why would you support pros that take dirty money? We're getting to this, Phil. I said I had multiple points to make. I'm telling you from a golf perspective, from a purely golf perspective, this doesn't matter to me. Okay? As long as these guys show up at the majors, that is all I, the viewer, care about. Take two. I think that this is overall bad news for the PGA Tour. May not be bad for me, the casual fan, but it's bad for the PGA Tour's bottom line. Remember, I told you all of this was about money. 
Every single aspect of this is about money. Who's making it, who's losing it, and where's it coming from? The players are going over here because of money, and the PGA Tour is angry because they're going to lose money. When you take Phil Mickelson out of PGA Tour events, I don't really care. They do. Sponsors do. Television people do. This rival league now affects the PGA Tour's business. It now affects the PGA Tour's bottom line. Doesn't change my golf viewing habits, but it changes dollar flow and revenue stream for the PGA Tour. When they are losing some of their biggest personalities and some of their best players, and they may lose more once this thing really gets off the ground, they may lose more. Once they've lost them, then the bottom line has been affected. So bad news for the PGA Tour. Take three on this whole thing. Will the LIV Golf Tour, will the Live Golf Tour be successful? Potentially. But if it's not, why? Here comes Bob Herrig of the uh, of Sports Illustrated. They still have a lot of obstacles. They do not have any kind of a network TV deal. There's nobody paying a rights fee right now. Let's be honest, in sports, TV rights are huge, a huge way to pay the bills. And even though these guys have plenty of money, at some point, they want to have some money coming in. And right now, you know, the only way we can watch it is on their website, livegolf.com, or on YouTube. You know, that's just not going to reach a mass audience. Like all things, like all new things, the USFL, the XFL, there is going to be some initial interest. But then that interest will wane. Fans like me who are very casual, I, pr- I will check this out once. I've, I will check this thing out on YouTube this weekend, and then I will go back to not caring until the majors. Okay? It, it, if it's not accessible, I'm really not going to care. And the diehard golf fans, they're not going to care either because they want to watch the best players in the world, and the best players in the world still reside on the PGA Tour. Interesting names. Dustin Johnson's excellent, so there are big names, a few on the LIV Tour, but by and large, the names that you care about, they're still on the PGA. Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, the guys at the top of their games, they're all on the PGA Tour for the most part. So people who really want to watch golf, they're still going to watch the PGA because, you know, just in like I don't care about the XFL or most college football, I want to watch the best. Those guys are going to want to watch the best. So I don't know if this thing is going to be successful. The average fan, like me, only watches at the majors. You're not getting me. The fan who's a diehard, they still want to watch the best. The best is still the PGA. If you don't have a TV deal, you're really not reaching anybody. So I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be successful. I think it's bad news for the PGA Tour. I don't ultimately know what its staying power will be. And then number four, to Phil's point, on the text line, and really to everyone's point, because this is the kicker. The big deal here is where the money comes from. That has everyone up in arms, and it should matter to you where the money comes from. The money comes from unsavory people in the Saudi government who are accused of suppressing freedoms, being anti-gay, and killing journalists. The Saudis who are backing this are not good people, I'm being told. And it has people like Christine Brennan of USA Today judging everyone who is in bed with this group. The, the awful leadership, uh, the terrible, rep, uh, reprehensible leadership of Saudi Arabia needs after killing Khashoggi in 2018. Everything they need to be, come back to society, to be 
given given um, you know great public relations and a great boost and and have big names around them and saying hey this is okay this is good um, and giving them uh, again that uh, everything that they need in terms of moving forward uh, and whitewashing all of the bad sports washing as it's now being called that's what Phil Mickelson is doing it is so different from someone going to the Chinese Olympic you know playing playing a sport in, in at the Beijing Olympics. What she just says there at the end, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not sure I believe that. I want to make this very, very clear because this is a controversial topic. I want to make sure that my point is articulated correctly. I am not here to defend the Saudi government. I am not here to really defend the golfers who are leaving to go play with these bad people. But that said, I do have a problem with hypocrisy. And what Christine Brennan is saying there feels hypocritical. My question to all of you listening is this. Phil on the text line who questioned me is this. How many places that give people big paychecks, how many rich corporations and organizations that pay people all over the world are also dirty, are also unsavory, and is Christine Brennan or all of you talking about any of them? That's all I want to know. I, I value consistency. I hate hypocrisy. And this feels hypocritical to me. Again, I'm not here to defend the Saudis. But the NBA gets a ton of money through China. We know what China's government is accused of doing. They're unsavory people. Their money isn't all clean. There's blood on the Chinese government's hands. The NBA takes that money. Is Christine Brennan out talking about that? Maybe she is, but I haven't seen it, certainly not recently. The NHL just suspended its business dealings with Russia, so good on them. But prior to that, the NHL had to know that Vladimir Putin and his government were, I think, shady at best is the, is the nicest way of putting it. And the NHL was in bed with Russia, taking money from Russia. Where was Christine Brennan talking about that? There are bad people employing people all, all over the country. Are you or Christine Brennan questioning all of them? Because there's a lot of places where the money may not be clean. I think they all need to be exposed at that rate. If we're gonna if we're going to call out, I think fairly. This Saudi-backed golf tour and these players going to it, then we need to call out everybody who might be dealing with unsavory people and getting rich off of it. The NBA is getting rich off unsavory business relationships. The NHL was getting rich off unsavory business relationships. Major League Baseball's not above board and everything it does in terms of how it gets players into its league from Latin American countries. Not all of this is clean. So if we're calling it out here, we better call it out there. I mean, we're going to talk about the World Cup, right? The World Cup is, is coming up later this year in November. Guess what? FIFA, one of the dirtiest organizations there has been. Maybe it's cleaner now, but it was pretty darn dirty for a long time. Like people getting convicted of felonies or crimes, rather, working in FIFA. So, and, you know, the Olympics in China, this is where there was also this talk about whether we should even go or not because the Chinese government potentially is so dirty. So 
We see this all the time where sports is in bed with unsavory people and unsavory groups and unsavory governments. Again, I'm not defending the golfers who are defecting. I'm just saying we're all looking over here when we should be looking here, 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 and here because it's a lot of the same stuff going on. Or it's a lot of similar stuff going on, I should say. Not all the same. They're not all alleged to have killed journalists, but there's a lot of stuff that's not above board happening in these sports organizations where people are getting paid. And if you work at a company, guess what? There's a lot of CEOs who aren't all that clean that people are getting money from. So I do not mind anybody, Phil in Berlin on the text line, I do not mind anybody questioning the Saudi government or these players going. But if you're going to question that, then you better question everybody who's getting a paycheck because a lot of that isn't above board either. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So if you want to question, if Phil, if you want to respond again, please do. Napa Morris, Phil, Napa Waterbury, text line. I would love to know what people think of this. I will watch this weekend. Okay? I will watch this weekend. You know what else I'm going to watch this weekend? I'm going to watch the third leg of the Triple Crown. You know what else is not a great savory business? Horse racing. Is Christine Brennan talking about that? It just feels hypocritical. That is one thing in this business, right? Like, I've always thought that in this business, you have to have the ability to grow. You have to have the ability to to evolve. I might feel today differently about an issue than I felt five years ago. And I don't think that that's flip-flopping. I think that that's evolution, and I think growth is good. This is one that, as a human, I'm pretty rigid on. I do not mind you having a stance, but I want that stance to be consistent. I do not want that to be a stance that is only a stance when it is convenient for you. And that is what the Christine Brennan take felt like. Again, I am not reading everything Christine Brennan writes, but I know there are people out there ripping to shreds this golf league, but ignoring everything that happens with the NBA in China. Don't do that. Okay, LeBron James makes a lot of money selling shoes in China and profiting off Chinese labor and forced kid labor and all that, or, or young kid labor, I should say. If we're calling out this, we should be calling out that. You should be calling out everything. If you're going to be the person who calls out, don't be, don't be a hypocrite and call out for everybody. Uh, we get a message in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. I'm very skeptical of many charities. Most of them have taken a very large percent for the CEOs when it should go to help the cause. Look, I, I am, I would get, if I go down that road, I'm going to get too far away from my realm of expertise here. I've certainly heard stories about CEOs or businesses scamming, you know, charitable donations. I've certainly heard that. I don't want to get way out of my comfort zone here. But again, the bottom line is, not all money is clean money, and not all people who give paychecks are clean people. Does it make this group better just because others are doing it? It just means you need to be noticing everybody else if you're going to notice this. All right, real quick, I need to give some levity to this show because we've gone very – I wasn't planning today on going into uh, international issues and whose money is coming from where. i got to give a little levity. i gotta, I got to give a PSA. I've got to give a PSA out there to all of you people. Look at your calendar. It is now June 8th. 
June 8th is now the date on your calendar. It is past Memorial Day. We've had the unofficial kickoff to summer. We are all, we are less than two weeks away from summer. School is almost out, so it feels like summer out there. I am seeing a ridiculous amount of people outside, girls and guys both, wearing sweatpants and sweatshirts still. People, it is summer. It is June 8th. It was 82 degrees yesterday. Why are you still doing this? I see I see an inordinate amount of people wearing black hoodies and black sweats. Hey, I get there's a time maybe you got a bruise or maybe you cut yourself, whatever, and you want it, you want to cover it up, you don't want to wear shorts. I get that. But I see some people around my complex every day. Doesn't matter what it is, seven o'clock in the morning, eleven o'clock at night, four in the afternoon, black hoodie, black sweats. Why? How are you not sweating to death? My PSA to you is in summer, dress like it's summer. Dress like it's summer. Because I, I, I get hot just looking at you people. When it's 82 degrees outside and y'all are wearing black sweatpants and, and, and hoodies. When it, I see people when it's 92 dressing like this. I got off the train recently and I saw how to stop. People dress like I'm like, who are these people? I wear I used to wear shorts when it got above 55 when I was in school. If it was gonna be above 55, I was wearing shorts. Now I kind of up it to at least 65. But when it's 85, I'd be I'd rather be wearing a tank top and go shirtless to work than wear black sweatpants and black hoodies. I mean, my good that is my PSA to you people out there is to quit wearing uh you know sweatpants when it's completely unnecessary. And I love sweatpant, hoodie, and snow hat season as much as anybody. It's a comfortable look. I think it's a stylish look. Perfect. But when it's 85 degrees, you got to ditch it. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We'll get into the Celtics. Another key to the game for the Celtics tonight. Something that I've been sitting on for a couple of days. A key to the game for the Celtics. And then you'll hear from Freddie Coleman. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Ross says... All the people wearing sweatpants and sweatshirts still are the Southerners who Southerners who recently moved to the state during COVID. Maybe, but I've always seen like a pocket of people who dress like it's winter, even in the summer. And I've never understood it. And I used to see it in New York when I lived there, and I see it here. I don't know that it's only a Vermont thing. It's just where my feet are now. But my goodness, I just I I, I get hot just looking at you people. Celtics taking on the. Uh, Warriors tonight, just after 9 o'clock with the tip-off from TD Garden, 1-1 series right now. There's another thing I want to see from the Celtics tonight. We talked earlier about the Celtics. I want to see them start fast, play physical, play aggressive. The other thing I want tonight, less complaining at the referees. If you want to send a message to the officials or the league office between games so they take notice, as the Celtics have done, then that's one thing. That's something we see all the time. But when the game starts tonight, you need to understand it is time to just play. That's what I want to see tonight, too. Start fast, play physical, but also just play. 
I asked Mark Kessischer of ESPN Radio the other day if the Celtics were focusing too much on the officials, and here's what he told me. If you don't get the whistle, and they didn't get the whistle in game two, talk about it about as much as you can without getting uh, fined heavily by the league. I think there is a human nature aspect to when you complain about certain calls, and that's what the ref's job is. They're going over the film. They're watching how these guys are defending other guys. They're watching how they get under their skin, and that's what they're going to look at for the next game. They may be a little more fixated on that. So I do think it's time-honored and, and also effective for the team that loses and doesn't get the whistle to speak about it and maybe get in the head of the ref a little bit. Kestisher is right. It is a time-honored tradition to call out the officials between games. I remember a few years ago during the Bruins-Stanley Cup run, I think both Carolina and Berube with the Blues were doing this. So this stuff happens all the time. Between games, call out the refs, send a message, get your point across. You know, at the end of the year, you got really nothing left to hold back from. But now the message has been sent. It is time to just play. I don't want to see guys throwing their hands up in uh, disbelief at something. I don't want to see guys loafing back on defense because they're shaking their heads about a call they didn't get. Just play. The time for sending messages, it is over the minute the ball is tipped. Take the contact, dish the contact, go to the bucket strong, absorb contact, play your game. All this other stuff, distractions about Draymond Green, Game 2, officiating, Jalen Brown, all that, it is done when the game starts. I heard Greg Hill of WEEI in Boston. He was saying yesterday he is over the whining at the officials. There's a lot of things that need to happen tonight for the Celtics to win. Reduce the turnovers, have a better third quarter, start fast, but putting all your energy into the game and less on the officials – that is something that needs to happen as well. Earlier today, I spoke with Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. I speak with Freddie every Wednesday in some form or another, either live or on the show. And uh, Freddie's filling in right now nationally on ESPN Radio as we speak, so he couldn't join us live today. So I caught up with him earlier. The full interview is already available on our podcast channel. Here's the Celtics-only portion of that interview. I asked him pretty much that question. I said, Freddie? I think they need to stop complaining about the officials and just play. Do you agree with me? That's a key to the game. I'll agree with you, but I will say this. They're going to do a better job of taking care of the basketball. And, yeah, there's no doubt, Brady, that that um, Draymond Green got in their head. And he was really to have an effect on that game where all of a sudden they weren't focusing on basketball. They were focusing on him. He did what he had to do to make sure that the pressure was going to be reduced on Steph Curry and Clay Thompson up to the basketball well in the first two games. But in addition to that, they got to be better at the basketball because we saw that seemingly every time they turned over the basketball in the second half, Golden State turned that into a three or a two or whatever was going to happen, either getting to the rim or getting fouled, put on the Celtics. So you're exactly right. Less moaning and groaning at the referees, but take better care of the basketball. That should be more important than worrying about beefing at the referees. Do you think it's better for the Celtics to try to figure out a way to stop Steph? Or is it better to let Steph get his and try to figure out a way to keep limiting Clay Thompson and try to take Jordan Poole out of it? I'm a big believer that you take with somebody's fastball because Steph Curry is averaging over 32 points per game and shooting over 63% in the first two games of this series. So you got to cut off the head of the snake. And right now he's been the head of the snake. 
And if he hadn't gone scoreless in the last six minutes of game one in the fourth quarter, then they would thought the Celtics being down 2-0 and not having a 40-point quarter that they put on the Golden State was going to be worse in that situation. So I've been a big believer that if other guys get there, I'm, I'm also thinking that, hey, you got to let the two guys or the guys, the main guys, you don't let them beat you. You have other people try to do that and see if they can step up. The Celtics had their guys step up and do that in game one. Steph played well in game two, but Jordan Poole and other guys stepped up as well. You got to cut off the head of the snake, and the head of the snake is definitely Steph Curry Golden State. What do you think of the criticism right now of Jason Tatum? See, in, in game one, he didn't score well, but he impacted the game. I saw a lot of people, you know, ragging on him for being inconsistent. I saw one national radio host say he lacked confidence. I thought it showed maturity to just try to be a playmaker in game one. What do you think of where Tatum's at right now? I'm completely with you, and I get it because a lot of people see the ability and also the very understated leadership that Jason Tatum brings to the table, and we always want more. Let me rephrase. They want more when it comes to people like Jason Tatum and Steph Curry and people like that. It says these people are never satisfied. I'm thinking, well, who the hell are you to tell somebody what satisfaction level that a player should have to make sure everybody is going to feel better about themselves? I've never, ever understood that. And I know it's the Michael Jordanization of people where you saw a superstar like that that did it time and time again. Michael Jordan is a comet compared to everybody else on planet Earth in the history of basketball before he got to the scene and after he got to the scene. So I don't know what people want, but I give Jason Tatum a lot of credit. He ignores those kind of things. He does not worry about those kind of things. Steph Curry, Golden State, he doesn't worry about those kind of things. He ignores those kind of things. So let people talk and fat mouth all they want because the majority of times, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They're just talking just to talk, hoping to get people to pay attention to what they have to say, even be absolutely nothing regarding what Jason Tatum can and cannot do for the Boston Celtics. Freddie, game three tonight, 9 p.m. Is this one more important to the Celtics or the Warriors? It's more important to Boston because if you allow yourself to get down and exclude the Golden State more than not, you don't find a way to get ahead of them if you're behind. So that's why I think it's more important for Boston to win a game three at home because if you lose a game three at home and now goes there as a 2-1 lead, they are very, very good at smelling blood because they have done a great job of saying, hey, we got them on the run. Let's keep them on the run. And all of a sudden you look up and it's a 3-1 series and then the series is over by Monday night in game five. So that's why it's more important for the Celtics to win game three and hold on to that home court advantage that they have right now by splitting the first two games on the road in San Francisco versus Golden State. They lose this game three. I can't even imagine the pressure that's going to be on them to win that game four on Friday night if they don't win game three tonight. Yeah, they do have to win game three tonight. That was my Celtics portion of my conversation with Freddie Coleman. We also talked about the Patriots, some stuff we've heard out of Pat's mandatory minicamp. We'll probably address some of that stuff tomorrow on the show. But uh, I think I think that, yeah, Freddie's right. And I said it at the start of the show, this game is more important for the Celtics. The Celtics, I don't want to see them playing from behind. I don't want to see them chasing Golden State in this series in terms of games. And the Celtics have been rough at home in these playoffs. They need to stem that uh, stem that trend. And they need to show that they can win on their home floor. I also really liked what Freddie had to say about how the Celtics should defend Golden State tonight. Because we already taped this, we're able to get kind of the, uh, you know, some of the cuts in order here. So, um, guys, do we have that? Freddie talking about the best way to defend the defense or defend Golden State? Uh, okay, we've got every other Freddie cut except that one. But Freddie just said there he thinks that the best way to do this is cut the head off the snake. And I like that idea. The Celtics defense tonight 
has to try to limit things for Steph Curry. The other guys around him have struggled or shown signs of struggle. Draymond Green was awful in game one. Jordan Poole was awful in game one. clay has been bad both games of this series. If I'm able to make it tougher on Steph, there is no guarantee the other guys around him step up. They certainly could. I said earlier in the series I thought Golden State had more scoring options. They do, but right now they haven't been able to get those options um, in their favor here. So if the Celtics can get Steph to go for 22 instead of 32 – that's a huge win. That's all I'm looking to do, right? When I would throw a change up as a pitcher, I wasn't trying to make you swing and miss at everything. I was trying to take it from the barrel of the bat to the end of the bat. That was it. A, a four-inch difference. If I can take Steph from t- 32 points to 22, there's no guarantee the other guys around him step up because they haven't done that yet. If I can limit him and I have to force Jordan Poole to be better than he's been. I think that is a good option for the Celtics today. They can't double team him all the time. You can't leave guys wide open, but if you can just make life tougher for him, then you have an option there or an opportunity there to have some success. Uh, A couple of things here on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. Phil in Berlin, he gets back in. I'm on board with you, Brady, as far as the Celtics go. Stop whining and play ball, and the refs will react to the garden pressure. I think that's possible. Also said, I think that uh, Draymond Green will be under a much um, smaller microscope today with the officials. He also said on the LIV, the Live Golf Tour, I totally agree with you on on the hypocrisy issue. Maybe this is the beginning of a movement to examine directly where the money leads. It's got to start at some point, and just like the slow movement in granting equal rights, et cetera, this may be a pivotal point for the greater discussion. It could be, but Phil, sadly, I don't think people want to know where the money leads. I think people want to wash their hands of it. I think people want to take the money, and they just want to do just that. I think unless they are being paid directly by somebody who's unsavory, they don't really want to know. And look, I I can't, I've not been in this situation. I just saw somebody post on social media. If you are a journalist, if you are a sports media person who got offered $100,000 more to go work for the Saudi Arabia company, you probably take it too. So I, I can't say that I wouldn't. I don't know. I've not been in that situation. So These guys are getting life-changing money. I understand why they are rationalizing it in their own head. I don't think people want to know where the money goes because oftentimes the money is not clean. I don't know enough about business to say that it's all not clean, but I think a lot of times there's a lot of people that have something on their hands, right? Maybe not what this Saudi government who's backing this thing has, but I, I, I think there's a lot of people with money that aren't doing everything the way they should be doing. We'll leave it at that. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, we pushed who's saying what to the end of the show today. Interesting comments made by NHL insider Pete Blackburn about the Bruins firing of Bruce Cassidy. We'll get into that. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. That's at 7 o'clock, going up until 8.38, and then Red Sox baseball takes over. Sox and Angels finishing up. Uh, no, I'm sorry, taking game three of four from Anaheim. So Sox looking to take the first three games. We didn't get to it earlier in the show. I want to get to who's saying what right now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What? Brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes, beginning at just $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. You know, there were interesting things on the Bruins firing of Bruce Cassidy from from Tom Karen, and it kind of piggybacks something I heard earlier today from Pete Blackburn of Bally Sports. I've heard rumblings. I've heard rumblings that, uh, you know, some of the guys, some of the more notable players have had issues with Bruce Cassidy. Uh, I don't know how, how extensive they are. I don't know how much that was a determining factor in letting him go. So Blackburn says that guys had problems with Cassidy. Greg Wyshynski yesterday of ESPN said the same thing. Tom Karen said the same thing today. So, okay, I had thought veterans would be upset about the firing of Cassidy. Evidently, that's probably not going to be the case. I also found what Blackburn said next to be interesting. At the end of the day, I think that every coach should be disliked to some extent. Right. If you're in a room where the head coach is – uh, beloved and everybody has nothing but great things to say about him and they're all buddy-buddy, there might be a problem there. 802-585-3026. I guess take yourself out of the world of hockey for a moment. And I ask you this question. What do you look for in a boss? What do you want in a manager? Because Pete Blackburn says, I think that all authority figures basically should be disliked a bit. Is that the case? Do you think that should be the case in your management at your job? Do you think that they all should be disliked a bit? I thought a lot about this actually today. Once I heard him say that this morning, I thought a lot about this and by and large, I think that Pete Blackburn is right. What do I want in a boss? Again, I thought I thought extensively about this. I want someone who is going to push me, but also someone who is going to appreciate me. So I think there do have to be moments where I'm sick of you and I'm mumbling under my breath. But then when I do things that are good, I want you to reward me for it. That is what I want in a boss and in a leader. I do think there are times where, hey, the old man won't get off my hump. Or, hey, the old lady won't get off my hump. You know, man, I can't do anything to please that guy. But then, you know, the next day when I do something good, they're coming to me. At the end of the day, what I want in a boss is someone who is going to push me, but someone who also appreciates me. And if, you're, if I'm being pushed, then invariably there's going to be a time where I get sick of you. There's going to be a time where I don't enjoy you. There's going to be a time where I'm wishing that you weren't my boss. But then if I can look at it and say, you know what? 
that guy's making me better and he appreciates what I do, then then that that is all I want. And maybe Bruce Cassidy wasn't complimentary enough. Maybe that's the issue. Because it certainly seems like Bruce Cassidy was able to push buttons. He certainly was able to push guys. But was he able to push guys in a way where they also looked at it and said, you know what, that guy appreciates me, and that guy's got my best interest at heart. We see this a lot, right? Guys, great on guys. Tom Thibodeau and Joe Madden, maybe to a degree. These guys that they push you, they push you, they push you. But maybe they don't give you the other side of it too. You don't feel like they've got your best interest at heart. I don't I don't know that to be a case with Bruce Cassidy, but I do find it at least interesting when I think about how I like to be managed, that you know, I, I think Pete Blackburn is right. I think there's gotta be a period where you're where your manager or your coach is not liked. You can't have everybody be best friends. There's got to be a separation. There's got to be a time where you're going to MF the guy behind his back. But at the end of the day, you got to know that they've got your best interest at heart. And I wonder what was the case for Bruce Cassidy. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's finish out the show. A couple last things here I want to get to. Uh, I did get a text earlier on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line about a segment I did yesterday, actually. This one came from Chris in Rockingham, who said, Brady, yesterday you wanted us all to apologize to High and Bloom for making good player uh, acquisitions, or good, pl- I'm sorry, I read it wrong, good acquisitions when it comes to players. Well, hey, Martin Perez is 4-2 and two with a 1-5-6 ERA in Texas. Rich Hill is 2-3. and three. Yeah, Bloom got Waka right, but I don't think we should crown him for Rich Hill. Also, the Red Sox are the Red Sox, we don't need to constantly find a diamond in the rough. We can afford to swing big. Chris, I appreciate the text. I appreciate you getting in here kind of off hours. It gave me something to think about before the show. High and Bloom is trying to build an organization. And in order to build a organ- an organization that is successful, you have to be good at every facet of player acquisition and player development. And that is what High and Bloom is doing. The answer is not just spend big, right? You have to spend big at times. They did that with Trevor Story. They're going to have to do that with Devers and Bogarts or both of them, right? They're going to have to swing big. There's no doubt about that. That is part of the soup here. That is part of the ingredients of the Red Sox soup. But that can't be your only methodology, You look at the Dodgers. This is the gold standard, right? The Dodgers are the gold standard. They've got the big ticket items, but they've got the farm system, and they've got the diamonds in the rough. You've got to be able to do everything. Yes, the Dodgers can afford to sign Mookie Betts. Yes, they can afford to sign Trevor Bauer when he was not toxic. So they can afford to do those things. But they also drafted and developed Will Smith and – Clayton Kershaw and Cody Bellinger and Corey Seager and Kenley Jansen and Julio Urias. And they also found under the couch covers players that have been really good for them over the years, like Brandon Morrow and Blake Trinan and Max Muncie and Chris Taylor. 
You've got to be able to do everything. So, yeah, Bloom is doing that. He spent big on Story. He will have to spend big on Devers, Bogarts, or both. And he's also found the guys under the couch covers while building up the farm system. He is trying to build the Dodgers model. That is why he always says, I want sustainability. The Dodgers have won the NL West, what, nine, ten years in a row? Why? Because they have sustainability. That is what Bloom is trying to do. That is why I give him credit. It is the Brady Farkas Show. That's it for us. Go download the podcast, everybody, on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can check it out also at WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball comes up at uh, 8.38 with the uh, pregame show, 9.38 for the first pitch. Jazz with George Thomas is next. Go Celtics. Go Red Sox.